praising God with, let's see, join Christians, join to sing, loud praise to Christ our King, let all with heart and voice before God's throne rejoice, God's praise is a gracious choice, Alleluia, Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Please join me in the litany of invitation and confession. We gather for worship as we bring our scattered lives and loyalties into this sanctuary. We gather for worship as we walk away from the frustrations of the week and into the centeredness of God's love. We gather for worship so that we may name our fears, like death and dying, and confess our sins, like hate and greed. Sisters and brothers, God knows us and loves us. God has forgiven us. God has shined healing light into our shadows. Let us lift our voices in gratitude to God.
all of the seasons of life and death are in God's hands. A reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Here ends the first lesson. Let us say our prayers. O loving God, we gather for worship and prayer because we must. It is a part of our DNA as your children. For we gather and bring what is on our hearts, our minds, the troubles of our world, and also the joys of being alive. For the gift of this day, we are so grateful. For the gift of life itself, we say thank you. For this summer has been filled with recreation and play and pausing and fun and Sabbath. But this morning's whisper was different. In the morning silence, as the dawn was breaking, we felt a coolness in the air, a whisper that summer is passing. Oh, yeah, the heat will still be hot, and the humidity will still be horrible, but summer is passing, and autumn is whispering. As these changes come about on the planet's atmosphere and proximity to the sun, so do our lives change and go through our seasons, too. Indeed, the time to be born and we've celebrated that with some just this last week and a time to die. So we pray for strength and courage. We give thanks that Dan Oakley is finally out of the hospital. Lord, have mercy, it took long enough. We're glad for his news and other news as healing is taking place. We pray for Andy Brandt, the grief of the death of his brother up in Maryland. We pray for Ken as well. As we read the day's news, well, it seems like it's always a box of chocolates, if not Pandora's box. Give us strength and give us courage for the living of these days. Help us be part of the solution and not just part of the problem. And whenever we don't know what else to do, help us to rely on the prayer that has gotten your people through two millennia at least. As we learn from Jesus, who taught his disciples to pray, saying boldly, Our Father.
the Apostle Paul reflects on his life lived in the presence of God. A reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. As for me, I have already been poured out as a libation, and the time of my debauchery is come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Here ends the second lesson. Boys and girls, I would ask that you come down and join me here on the chancel steps. Lead the way, Bo and Mary Francis, and Jolene and Jay. Come on forward. I've got a picture of a dog here. This is Kayla, and Kayla is a helper dog. Are any of you helpers? Raise a hand if you're a helper. You're a good helper. I can tell by looking, Levon, that you're a good helper. Oh, good. You you cleaned up stuff too. You cleaned up stuff. Look at here. Here's another picture of Kayla, and this is Miss Louise Davis. You remember Miss Louise? And this is Mr. Greg Colson, and here I am sitting there, and. Uh, that is Rhonda Harris's mother by Kayla. Wouldn't it be something if Kayla, the dog, were here today? Wouldn't that be something? Why don't we call and see if Kayla's here? Can everybody go, Kayla. Can you do that with me? Kayla. Is Kayla here? Why, look. <laughs> Kayla knows how to make an entrance. Come on in, Kayla. Come on in, Kayla, and sit over here. And Kayla has brought Miss Diane today. Come have a seat. Can Kayla just sit there in the middle? You want to pet her? There we go. Everybody come on in and pet her. It's okay to pet her, right? She, she's a professional, and she loves it. Can everybody pet her? Now, Kayla is called a therapy dog. Because she goes visits people that are sick, or people that are in the hospital, or people that are in the nursing home. Now, there's something uh, kind of different about Kayla. Who knows what it is? What is it? She only has three legs. That's right. <laughs> she only has three legs. But, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure she knows that. Have you told her? It's a secret. But, you know, having just three legs doesn't mean that Kayla can't help people, does it? I mean, she may not have four legs, but she does the best she can. That's a good point. Miss Diane was saying, Miss Diane was saying that some of the people Kayla visits have things wrong with them. They may be sick. They may not feel good. Uh, she does have two ears. So, so, so far, 
<laughs> let's, let's let her leave with two ears, okay? Somebody's asking if she was born like this, but she wasn't. She, she, she hurt one of the legs, and the doctor had to take it off so that she could be healthy. And so I wanted you to meet Kayla because I wanted you to know how to be a good helper too, even though you may not get it right all the time. You may not be super tall. You may not know what to say, but you can be, you can be with people and love people and just like Kayla. Oh, I think Kayla likes to be loved. Just like you do. Just like we do. Okay? This says, I am a therapy dog. Yeah. Did she write that? She had it made. I see. It's okay. All right. Let's say a prayer. All right. Kayla, you want to join us in the prayer? God, we thank you that you love us just like we are and that we can be good helpers. Just like Kayla, just like these boys and girls. Amen. Amen. All right, you can go back to your seats. And thank you, Kayla, for letting us pet you a lot.
old Simeon holds the newborn infant Jesus in his arms, even as he, Simeon, ponders his own death. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for a revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to the people, your people, Israel. This is the Gospel of the Lord. I think the children are very well behaved today. I think Kayla made all the difference. Can she come next week, too? If so, good. Well, the title of the sermon is, And a Time to Die. It's from the line that Liz read earlier from old Ecclesiastes that said, And a time to be born, and yeah. So a time to die is coming for all of us, It's never a good time to talk about dying, is it? You don't talk about dying on a birthday, I don't think. Happy birthday to you. Oh, and by the way, you're dying. Can we talk about that? No, that doesn't fit. What about an anniversary? No. Maybe maybe, uh, Valentine's Day? No. I can just imagine, oh, hon, what a nice gift, a gift card. I didn't know Patterson's had gift cards. (laughs) Come to think of it, regarding a sermon on death, I've never heard Joel Osteen or Creflo Dollar preach one. Now, I know, we need to tread tenderly here, not tromp around in muddy boots in the valley of the shadow of death. Because this year, there have been a lot of our families, your families, that have gone through losses and death. We are a family-like church, and when a family loses someone, someone dies, we feel it. Some in our congregation have had near-death experiences. You've told me about those, of how it's changed you, and for some, comforted you, but for all of us around you, it's challenged us. We've gone a long way together but it's time to talk about the topic of death and dying. I want to look at these three texts that we have read today that are three soliloquies in the Bible where each of the speakers reflects on the notion of death. And perhaps it will be that when the storms of death come to you, come to me, that the balance of amazing grace 
that always comes with the sweetest of sounds will be there for us and with us. So, number one, let's look to old Ecclesiastes. The Hebrew Bible calls him Koheleth. So, old Ecclesiastes not only names that death not only happens, but it will happen to me. It will happen to you. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote about death and dying in her breakout book back in the early 70s, many of us read when it first came out. I remember being a clinical student in college when I read On Death and Dying, and she uh, tried to invite doctors to help her in on her studies. And so she went to these doctors who had admitting privileges in hospitals and said, with your permission, I would like to speak to your dying patients. And each doctor said exactly what you think. We don't have any dying patients. And there she talks about, yes, death comes to thee and thee, but not to me. But, but death is awfully personal, isn't it? It's as personal as the last breath we take, as personal as the first breath we take when we are born. I remember I would call my mother, who has been dead five years, but I would call my mother two or three times a week, usually on the cell phone as I was between appointments. Seems like I often called her on the way home from the cemetery. I don't know why it worked that way, but I would call her. How you doing, Mom? She said, I'd be, I'd be doing fine. And she said, what you doing? Well, I'm, I'm driving home from the cemetery. Had a church member who died, I would say. And my mother would always say, you know, it seems like a lot of your church people die. And I would always say, well, yeah, all of them. None of us are going to get out of this alive. I think that had something to do with my mother's own denial about her death, uh, which I think surprised her as much as anybody. Yeah, it's as personal as our own story, our last breath. Many of you have heard my story and how death has always been a part of my life. As a little bitty kid, I was always going with my, kid, my father and my younger sister to the funeral home. As we would ride to school with him, especially on cold days or really hot days, and those are really the only kind of two days we had in Louisiana, by the way. And he would always stop by the funeral home on the way because all of the 13,000 people in Bienville Parish were his friends, and he wanted to stop and pay his respects. And so because it was too hot or too cold, I would go in with him, as would my sister. We would go over and look at the, at the person in the casket, and then he would say, sign the book. And we'd walk over and sign the book. Now, all over North Louisiana, there must be thousands of registries that has my name in real writing as a fourth grader and my sister's name printed with all bold letters in caps as a first grader. And that's a true story. Ask me about that later. So it's always been a part of my story of being around death and dying. I have plenty of books on my shelf, like Ernest Becker's book, Denial of Death, or Staring into the Sun, which says that we can, we can contemplate our own deaths as well as we can stare at the sun, which isn't very well. I've thought about it a lot in a long time, but here's my confession. 
I talk a good game, but uh, I will not go gently into that good night, like Dylan Thomas said. I'm sure I won't. I'll be like my mother. I'll resist it at every point. No matter how courageous I sound today, I probably will be as scared and fearful and all of those things as many people do. In other words, if uh, death is the, uh, the Kobayashi Maru, those of you who are Star Trek fans get that reference, that's not something I will defeat. That's just a hubris statement that I think I will. No, I'm as human and as fearful as the rest. But death is going to come to me as it will to you. So it's hard to think about our deaths, each of our deaths. I think it challenges our illusion of control. And oh, don't we like to control. And more than that, we like to think that we are in control. And death is the ultimate insult about that. But Ecclesiastes speaks the truth. And as Myron Madden, my mentor, used to say, only the truth here. We receive the gift of Ecclesiastes, start here, and there's a time to die. The question is, will we see it as giving up, or will we see it as letting go? That's the second thing. That's what I get from the Apostle Paul. Since you and I are going to die, then there is a difference, though, between giving up and letting go. The Apostle Paul says in that text that, Ruth read a little bit ago, the time of my departure is at hand. For I've fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, finished the course. That Greek word for departure is a a wonderfully dimensioned word. I was looking it up in uh, old Barclay, the daily Bible series Barclay, that I've seen on many of your shelves uh, and on my shelves, uh, written in the 50s, maybe early 60s. I think he took some liberties with some of his uh, flowery exegesis, but it preaches so well, Steve. I'm going to expect an amen from you on this. He says that that word, my departure, the letting go is at hand, it would be used like in, in a phrase regarding a workhorse that has been in the harness with the traces, pressing the collar, pulling the plow all day long. And at the end of the day, the time of the departure is at hand, where the horse is unloosed from the heavy burden and can go to the barn for a meal and for a night's rest. Departure, letting go. Or, Barclay says, it may be used in uh, striking camp, that you've had a tent in place, tightening the ropes, the guide lines, the guide ropes, so that when the wind comes, or the rain comes, that it's going to stand firm. But when it's time to move on, you loosen the ropes, strike the camp, fold up the tent, and give the fabric some rest. Or, he said, maybe it's like a ship that's ready to sail, tugging at its moorings as the tide is going out. The ship wants to travel, and so you loosen the ropes, and the ship does what it was meant to do. It's the contrast of the tension of work and the time of letting go. Paul asks us, is death a time of giving up or is it a time of letting go? Hank Dunn is a friend of mine and lives. He has been a hospice chaplain and has 
made a lot of money. I don't know if this is going to be recorded or not. Maybe he won't listen. But he's made a lot of money on books he's written regarding hard choices for loving people. Hard choices for loving people about end-of-life decisions. And in that, he was the first to help me know the difference between giving up and letting go. In giving up, there's defeat. But in letting go, there's a gift you pass along. In giving up, that's something out of fear. But letting go lives out of grace and trust. The Apostle Paul talks about, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And we talked about that in the Bible study on Wednesday. Made a few uh, jabs at the Apostle Paul of what he was always trying to do, you know, get ahead of a few folks. But he says it's for everybody. I think he was taking the athletic metaphor of one straining for the finish line, running that marathon, and then finally, you're done. You can stop running. You're there. Well, maybe. Maybe. It's not about ropes breaking and giving up. It's not about a harness snapping and giving up. It's not about wind ripping sails apart and giving up. It's about letting go. Could it be that we, like the Apostle Paul, when that time and the time to die comes to us, it's not going to be a matter of giving up. It's going to be a matter of letting go, trusting God. Here's the third thing. It comes from old Simeon. Old Simeon who promised peace beyond mystery. Peace beyond mystery. Every day he would go to the temple. Imagine that, going to church every day. Every day he would go to the temple because he was on the alert. He was watching for someone because God had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's anointed, until he had seen the Christ child. Imagine that him going every day with that promise in his heart, every time a couple walks in with their sacrifice and ritual, that he wanders over, looks, and no, that's not the one, God bless you. And wanders back. Another one? No, that's not the one. God bless you. He lived with a promise in his heart. He had something to live for. We've seen that too, haven't we? We've seen folk who had something to live for and did it. As in, graduation for my granddaughters coming next May, so I've got to make it to then. Or, you know, the birth of the great-grandson happens around Christmas, so I'm, I can make it to then. Or that wedding in January, I want to make it till then. Or there are people who need my help, and I can still help them, and I want to do. But eventually for all of us, that time of letting go comes and reaching toward the peace of the promise. Yes, old Simeon, not that one, not that one, but then. Mary and Joseph walk in. They bring in two turtle doves to sacrifice, which means they were poor people. They didn't have the wealthy animals, the sheep, the goats, something like that. They were poor. He wanders over, moves back the blue blanket, and recognizes this one. He asks if he might hold the child. I'm sure that Mary kind of, you know, pulled back. Maybe Joseph said, it's all right, it's all right, I'm here. 
And so he reaches over, takes the baby, holds it up, and says, Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. But here, after all these years, he had carried the promise in his heart. And now he held the promised child in his hand. He says a prayer of, At this time, O God, I can now be dismissed. I can be let go. The promise has come true. From old Simeon, I think about my life, some wishes that I have. Maybe you can bootleg off of these, similar to what Larry said in church school this morning. One wish I have is I want to do like Simeon. I want to live until I die. I've noticed that some people die before they die. Cannot you keep your heart and mind and passion alive? He did. Do you think of that poem by Mary Oliver of a summer's day? You know that one? Where she says, who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, the one that sits in my hands, who has flung herself out of the grass, who is eating sugar, who is moving her jaws back and forth, not up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. I don't know exactly what prayer is, says Mary Oliver. I don't know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down into the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields. But all these things I have been doing all day. Doesn't everything die at last, she asked. Does not everything die and all too soon? And so tell me, she wonders, tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Yes, let's live until we die. Another thing, let's love until we die. Like my friend Chris Graham said, every day during the last year of his life with ALS, James, let the love in, let the love in. Like was said this morning by Larry and Liz, as an act of love, get an advanced directive, advanced medical directive, a living will. Make sure you have a medical power of attorney. It'll be a gift to all medical staff around you, a gift to you, and a gift that loves you. And practice death by letting go. Come to the Ash Wednesday service. We walk out of that Ash Wednesday service, right there you come by with the words, from dust you've come and to dust you will return. You remember what John Polkinghorne, the Episcopal priest and astrophysicist in Great Britain says, that in your bone marrow right now, it is making blood out of the ashes of dead stars. And so it is, from dust we've come, to dust we will return. The Nuke Demitish is sung by old Simeon, let your servant now be dismissed in peace. When Liz retired last year from the Air National Guard, she had been in for 22 years. I went down to the retirement ceremony at Warner Robins on a very stormy day. It was her retirement service there. And in the retirement service, she, she, uh, she was relieved 
I mean, that's where it was all headed. He told stories about her being in. He told stories about the mission change of the 116th from Dobbins to Warner Robins. We told about how they were on the news in Alpena, Michigan, on the shores of Lake Huron on September the 11th, 2001. And when the call came, they were practicing medical emergencies. They thought that they would be re-dispatched to go to New York City, but there were no injuries to tend to. There were only casualties. At the end of the ceremony, after we had gone through all of those good words, the commander salutes her and gives her her final order. And those of you who've been in the military know how it sounds. The final order is Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Liz Harris Lampton, you are relieved. I was too. Me too. But in her relieving, it is a stepping down for responsibility, like old Simeon did. When it comes time to die, don't give up. Let go. When it's time to die, trust in the promise that you've held in your heart all of your life, but then discover that it's not the promise you hold. It is you are being held by that promise and being held in the arms of God. our tradition that when a word is offered, a time of invitation for dedication is given. I often say that we come to church not to talk about what's important, but, what to, but to talk about what is most important. What is most important is the life we live all, all of our lives, every day of our lives, to live lives that are blessed by God. That is the hymn of dedication and invitation that we sing. Let's stand together and do so. How blessed are they who
whenever a family gathers around the table, there's always news to share. Some of the news to share is this. This coming week begins our Interfaith Habitat Build on August the 4th on Saturday. If you haven't signed up, there's still sign-up sheets available. They're out here in this uh, hallway. We need a few more volunteers, so, uh, so consider doing so. Also, Virginia Gilbert mentioned that childcare will be available at 7.30 on that Saturday morning. So if you'd like to build, have to build, have childcare here, um, please, I guess you would sign up for that, probably. Uh, so, so thank you, uh, Virginia. Um, also, this time of year, as we end July, it's the end of the year for us, and August the 1st starts the new church year. And we start with new officers, new leaders, a new chair of deacon, new moderator. Uh, heart will do. <laughs> Has been praying hard that this day would come sooner. And it is finally here. And the mantle's being passed along to Don Janney, who is the incoming moderator. His job starts on August the 1st. Some of you had asked me, are there any rituals that we have of symbolizing this transfer of, uh, of leadership? Since steeple has been in our thoughts a lot, this is it. You'll see a guy hanging on to the cross that's being placed on the steeple. This was taken in 1974, and that's how the first moderator was installed, I think. So we'll be strapping Don on sometime later this week. So we give thanks for your leadership, and we give thanks for your willingness. Um, Let's see, I'm trying to read my writing here. Uh, okay. Oh, Daniel, my colleague. You've noticed that Daniel is not here today. He is attending boot camp for Baptists by the Baptist Joint Committee of Religious Liberty, on Religious Liberty, and it is in Williamsburg, uh, Virginia, Colonial Williamsburg. It's a five-day time. We've had several from our church attend, like Elisa Adolfe, like Jeremy Lewis, like Brian Knight, uh, may have been the Graham Walker. Uh, I mean, Graham uh, Younger may have done that at one time. You were an intern there, though, weren't you? You were an intern with the BJC. Uh, and so this is a committee, uh, this is a group that is really important to First Amendment rights, and we need them now more than ever. So he's in Williamsburg, will be uh, returning home today. Uh, it's where they learn about how John Leland, a Baptist minister, taught James Madison about religious liberty, and he taught Thomas Jefferson, and then Jefferson taught the Continental Congress. So uh, we have deep roots that uh, Daniel is drinking from this week. Following our uh, offertory, we'll be singing the hymn that's the insert for the, that you, the other insert that you have, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand. It's in our hymnal, but it's printed in the minor key for some reason. And so we're going to sing it out of the major key here. I remember an evangelist coming through Louisiana called it the National Anthem for Baptists. <laughs> you sing so well in the summer in here, I said we need to sing at least one song entirely a cappella. And we're going to do that. And that means without instrumental accompaniment. And so you'll sing with that robust voice. If you don't know the hymn, scoot next to somebody that does and uh, sing along with that. 
Joel Stouffer is one of our gifted musicians and, and members. He is the accompanist for our children's choir. These have been tough weeks for him because his mother has been in the hospital, but he is bringing us the gift of music. So let us prepare our hearts and listen. At this time, we continue the worship of God by the giving of tithes and offerings.
All-loving God, we give thanks for the gift of this day and for this time of worship and gathering together. We pray that we would be servants, um, like Kayla has been a servant of being with people in times that are in need. We pray that songs would live in our heart like through Joel's fingers of joy and courage. And we pray that these gifts would be used in your service all week long because we are bound for the promised land. Amen. And as you prepare to go, remember, may the strength of Christ uplift you. May the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you. And may the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day 
as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.